I'm Alexander Lawrence Ames, and this is Cloister Talk, the Pennsylvania German Material Texts podcast. Welcome to episode 18, Cloister Talk Live, Volksbibliothek, a conversation with Dr. Maria Sturm and Bettina Hess of the German Society of Pennsylvania Library. In this episode, we will learn about the history of one of Philadelphia's oldest, most beautiful, and most fascinating libraries, and what that library reveals about ethnic life and social organization in the United States in the 18th and 19th centuries. The Horner Memorial Library at the German Society of Pennsylvania is a spectacular repository of rare books and documents recording the life experiences of Germans in Pennsylvania and beyond, making it an important stop on our tour of libraries and museums. This podcast series explores topics covered in my new book, The Word in the Wilderness, Popular Piety and the Manuscript Arts in Early Pennsylvania, published by the Pennsylvania State University Press in 2020. There are many questions and ideas I address in the book that deserve further consideration, so each episode of Cloister Talk dives into one of those topics. During many episodes in the third season of Cloister Talk, we are visiting the various libraries and museums that made publication of the Word in the Wilderness possible. If you'd like to learn more about anything discussed on the podcast, please read the book, which you can order from psupress.org or request from your favorite local bookseller or library. It's hard to mistake a piece of architecture that was intended to make a statement. The headquarters of the German Society of Pennsylvania, located at 611 Spring Garden Street in Philadelphia, not far north of Independence Hall and other world-famous landmarks, is such a building. Designed in a Renaissance Revival style, the large structure was intended to stake a claim for the important place of the German immigrant community in the life of the city, state, and nation in the late 19th century. Though it shows its age, today the building retains its grandeur and continues to make a statement about the German ethnic influence in American life. What is more, the German society still operates out of this august architectural relic of the late 1800s. The building also houses a substantial library, the largest German-language library collection in the United States that is not associated with a university. How does an ethnic society, founded in 1764, operate an important special collections library, and what treasures does the library contain? Those are the subjects of today's Cloister Talk. The library at the German Society of Pennsylvania has figured prominently in my own life as a scholar, a library professional, and simply as someone getting acquainted with the cultural life of the city of Philadelphia over the last several years. I arrived on the German Society's doorstep as a young scholar in 2013, hoping to do some research into the library's institutional history and its rare book collections. Little did I realize at the time that my association with the Society would continue for many years as a member of the Library Committee, a frequent visitor to the Library's astoundingly lovely reading room, and most recently as the newly minted Library Committee Chair. Today, I am joined by two people with whom I have worked closely for several years now on projects connected to the Library. 
people who are perfectly equipped to tell us everything we might want to know about the past, present, and future of the German Society's impressive book and archival collection. Our first guest is Dr. Maria Sturm, who spent nine years as chair of the Library Committee and currently serves on the German Society's Board of Directors. She is a native of Germany with a PhD in American history from the University of Cologne. She first encountered the German Society of Pennsylvania and its magnificent library in the 1990s during the initial project to renovate the space and bring the collections online. From 2011 to 2020, Maria served as the chair of the library committee while also being on the board. Our other guest is Bettina Hess, the Society's Special Collections Librarian who oversees daily operations of the collection. Bettina holds a BA from Bryn Mawr College and an MILS from the University of Michigan and has attended Rare Book School and the German Script Course at the Moravian Archives. She began her career at the German Society in 1994 on a cataloging project and currently runs a weekly German script transcription group at the library. Thank you, Maria and Bettina, for joining me today on Cloister Talk. Thanks, Alex. Nice to be here. Thank you, Alex, for the invitation. Maria, give us a synopsis of the history of the German Society of Pennsylvania. When and why was it established, and how has it evolved over the years? When the German Society was founded in 1764, it was as an immigrant aid society to help new arrivals from Germany upon their coming to the colonies. Um, the first German settlers, the ones that, for example, came in 1683 to Germantown, had been fairly well-to-do and were able to pay for their passage themselves. And this was generally true for many of the early immigrants that they um, were more middle-class than anything else. But later poorer people tried to come and they could only do that under the indentured servitude system, which meant that they sold several years of their labor for the price of the passage. And in the case of the Germans, this system was especially ripe for abuse because they were not familiar with English. So often they quite literally didn't know what they were signing. So the German society provided translators and lawyers to help with any um, issues they had when they came. And also, you know, they branched out into offering medical help or help with transportation or whatever was needed at the time. And then later on, when um, after the revolution, the system of indentured, indentured servitude did not function anymore, the German society professionalized its offerings for the immigrants and established the Agentur or agency in the middle of the 19th century then and a full-time paid employee of the German society interviewed those that came to the German society asking for help and decided what kind of help they should get, whether it should be monetary or um, also whether they should be rejected, which also happened quite frequently. 
And so this system then stayed into place as the cornerstone of the German society until the Great Depression, the New Deal, um, the Second World War, when the state would take over more of these welfare functions and the system of a more private welfare system would be phased out. And the German society at this point, after the Second World War, um, started its transition to more of a cultural heritage organization, which is at the core of its operation now. Maria, why did the society establish a library? What cultural purpose has the library served over the years? The intention to have a library is already in the founding document from 1764, but for various reasons among them, you know, the Revolutionary War. Um, it only really happened then in 1817. And at this time, you have to imagine that there was already a certain concern about preserving the German language. And of course, there wouldn't have been any other place that would have collected German books. I mean, the library company, for example, or the University of Pennsylvania, that wouldn't have been their, their um, task. And so that played a role. And then you have to also imagine, think of the Athenaeum founded in 1814. So a kind of cultural elite tries to um, represent itself with a library at this time, of course, a subscription library. And you could only, I mean, until the system of, of public libraries came into play much, much later, you could only get books in these kinds of subscription libraries. So it made sense for the German inhabitants of Philadelphia to have what the English speakers already had themselves. And then later on, you also have to figure in the role of the wave of German immigrants after the failed revolutions in Germany in the middle of the 19th century. So they came, they were highly educated, and they wanted to um, have kind of like, you know, the highest representation of their culture possible in the United States. So the ones that ended up in Philadelphia definitely, you know, pushed the the growth of the library. And then the, the, the kind of like last development was that there was a general reading public towards the end of the 19th century, of course, then too. And the German society was their library. That's where they got their books. What then the free library would have done for the English speakers, that's what the German society provided for the German-speaking inhabitants of Philadelphia. Bettina, tell us about the composition of the library today. How would you describe the holdings to someone unfamiliar with the library? So the core of the Horner Library is the original library, which Maria described. Um, it was a collection that they, they began in 1817 and were actively um, adding to until the 1980s. So originally, this would have been a library used by the members that would have sort of duplicated what you would have found in a public library. So um, it has everything from biographies, histories, um, religious books, scientific books, uh, cookbooks, biographies, uh, children's literature, 
it was always a library that catered to the various needs of the membership. So, for example, among the scientific books, you'll find everything from the writings of Alexander von Humboldt to books on mesmerism and phrenology, in addition to books on wine and beer making and self-help manuals such as How to Be Your Own Physician. The fiction section has books that are both classics, like the Goethe and Schiller that every good German library has, um, and other canonical writers, as well as popular fiction that would have been purchased at the time it was published and was widely read by the um, members of the German society. We find this out by looking at the backs of these books and seeing the checkout slips and how often they were borrowed by the members. Um, it's really quite remarkable how heavily used this library was in the 19th century. Nowadays, it functions primarily as a research library. We don't have many members who come in to borrow books anymore, although we do have a small lending library. But most of the users of the library are researchers who come to investigate various um, academic topics. We have a fair number of genealogists who come to do family history research and just people who are doing research on a variety of topics, which sort of is a testament to how widespread um, the subject matter is that these, this library uh, contains. Another part of the library that is a little bit separate was started later than the this main collection is what was originally called the German American Archive and is now called the German American Collection. Uh, this was started in 1867 by Oswald Seidensticker, who was a professor of German at the University of Pennsylvania. He was also a librarian at the German Society, and he decided that he wanted to start collecting materials related to German-American history so that the German society should be documenting its own, the history of, of Germans in the United States. So this is a collection that has around 10,000 books, pamphlets, manuscripts. It ha we have German-American newspapers from the 19th century, as well as ephemera and uh, periodicals. Another part of the collection is the library of the Carl Schwartz Memorial Foundation, which came to us in the 1970s. Um, that library has been integrated into our collection and also focuses on German-American topics. Um, and it, it includes an extensive pamphlet collection as well. Bettina, tell us a little bit more about the German-American collection. Can you say more about sort of how it developed over the years and what treasures does it contain? Yes, uh, the German-American collection, um, as I said, was started in 1867. It contains really a wide range of materials, but they all are documenting an aspect of German life in the United States. So the focus is on Philadelphia, but really um, there are books on self-help books for immigrants. There are pamphlets and ephemera and periodicals related to German clubs in Philadelphia and beyond. Some of the, a couple, of, I can just name a couple of things that I find really amazing in our collection. Um, we have all three editions of the famous uh, Zauer Bible, which is the first Bible printed in the United States in a European language. 
Uh, it was printed in, the first edition was printed in 1743 by Christopher Zauer, who was a famous German-American printer and, and rival to Benjamin Franklin. Um, we also have an indenture. Maria described the indenture system that was in place at the time the German society was founded. Uh, we have an indenture between a young girl um, and her employer. We also have hundreds of constitutions and bylaws of mutual aid societies that existed for various groups of Germans in Philadelphia. They are so specific. It's, I mean, it's fascinating. They are these societies that were formed for Germans, German Americans, and belong to particular types of neighborhoods or professions or religions. Um, I can give you a couple examples that I just find amazing. Um, so we have the constitution and bylaws for a group that was called the Kutchen und Wagenbauer Krankenunterstützungsverein in Philadelphia, which is a aid society for coach and wagon builders in Philadelphia. Um, we have another one called the Schiller Arbeiter Unterstützungsverein von Bridesburg and Whitehall. So this was a mutual aid society for workers in the neighborhoods of Bridesburg and Whitehall in Philadelphia. Um, yeah, really cool. <laughs> Um, the manuscript collection in the GAC, what we call the GAC, contains the German society's own records dating back to its founding, as well as the Agentur that Maria mentioned, um, and records of numerous other Philadelphia area German clubs, such as singing groups and gymnastics clubs or Turnverein, among many others. One of the most distinctive things about this collection is that it is housed today in the very reading room that was constructed to house it more than 130 years ago. Maria, what is the significance of the fact that the collection remains in situ, as it were? Well, first of all, it is this impression, you know, when you when you enter it of something like a Gesamtkunstwerk, you know, where the, where the sum is larger than the parts. Uh, and it it strikes you as programmatic when you when you enter already, you know, without you know delving into the the treasures that it holds, because it wanted to represent a certain idea of Germany that was in fact already a little bit old fashioned the moment it opened in 1888, but it wanted to convey the impression of, you know, this is where Goethe and Schiller would have felt at home. And, you know, there were busts around the balcony that kind of illustrate this program, um, this message. And interestingly, also, you know, it's not just philosophers then and, and writers who are represented there, but also, you know, my favorite bust is of Arminius, the, the Germanic um, general um, who defeated the Romans in the in that battle in the Teutoburger Wald, and he was there to symbolize the yearning of German Germanic tribes to be free. Something that had at the time the library opened in this building on Spring Garden in 1888. I mean that dream had been finally realized in 1871, so not that long ago. And so you find him there, who otherwise, you know, of course, has nothing to do with. A library, and you find the the brothers Humboldt. So you find Wilhelm, who was 
um, responsible for establishing the German education system and a university system, which pretty much, you know, still functions the way he envisioned it, envisioned it today. And um, at the time, 1888, you know, he would have been very much admired for it in the United States too. And and then there's Alexander von Humboldt as an explorer and a naturalist. So, so you're surrounded by this whole program, you know, representing um, the highest ideals of German culture. And it's all still there. And it, you know, the, the, one equivalent to it sort of, you know, in Philadelphia is the Wagner Institute of Free Science, which houses a natural history collection of the 19th century, pretty much the same way it was um, put into this building in the 19th century. And interestingly enough, also, you know, it was a German-American who who did it, Dr. Joseph Leidy, who um, who put the collection there the way it's displayed now. And it's interesting that you have two of these, yeah, frozen in time places in Philadelphia, and both of them are still very much alive and, and show you that, you know, leaving things undisturbed and leave them to tell their story as it was intended can be very powerful and very moving almost. Bettina, who uses the library today? And if a listener is interested in exploring the collection, how would he or she go about doing that? We have a fellowship program with the German Historical Institute in Washington, D.C., through which we usually have about two to four researchers come in the summer for extended stays to do research on various academic topics. Um, We have people come and do research on a number of topics. Um, Since our collection is rather unique, we see a wide range of of subjects being um, investigated. In addition, we get a fair number of genealogists who visit. while we don't have records like baptismal or death certificates or the traditional types of documents that genealogists look for, uh, we do have materials that can be useful for family history research, like a number of 19th century Philadelphia German newspapers, which are often useful for finding death notices, and a reference collection that is good for more general background information on Germans, uh, German immigration and aspects of German life in in the United States. Um, And of course, we have a lot of material from German clubs and congregations. So if someone knows an ancestor was involved with a particular German organization in Philadelphia, we can sometimes find evidence of them through some of these uh, materials of different organizations. Another reason people sometimes contact us is because they have family letters or documents they've found either on ancestry or that have been passed down through their family, which are written in German, and that that old script, which is really hard to decipher, even for people who can read German. So, And we have a weekly transcription group that we started last year where we meet to work on a variety of uh, documents, Um, sometimes the German society's own records, and sometimes documents that people have sent to me and asked for help with. And I can tell you, we've made some people really happy by deciphering an old family document for them that 
they've had for years and never knew what it said. And we were able to read it and help them learn something about their grandparents or great grandparents. So for people who are interested in coming to the library and doing research or finding more, out more about it, you can go to the German Society's website, uh, germansociety.org, and look at the library portion of the, the site. Uh, we have our library catalog online, uh, which you can search. And we also have a research guide, which sort of gives an overview of the collection and describes materials that may not be cataloged yet. So there are quite a few items that we have that are not in the, in the catalog, which you would find in the research guide. Some things like some pamphlets and some ephemera, periodicals, newspapers, things like that. Um, the library is open on Tuesdays and Thursdays every week from 10 to 4. And best if you want to come and visit would be to email me in advance and let me know what your interest is. That way I can be prepared and help with anything you might be interested in looking at. You two have both spent many years stewarding the wonderful collection of the German Society of Pennsylvania Library. On a personal level, how would you describe what this collection means to you, and what is your hope for the future of the collection? Maria, let's start with you. Well, first of all, I hope it can continue as a research collection. That is certainly a very important aspect of the future. And then I also hope that it can move more fully into the 21st century, that we can do more digitizing, for example, because that really seems to be the future now, that you just have to have a digital presence. To the, that's a face you have to show to the outside world. And I also hope that there will be still enough knowledge of German around that it's not just researchers that come. I mean, we we have built up a quite sizable children's book collection, for example, in the hope that kids would be still reading print copies of books for a little while longer. So on that level, I hope it will continue as a lending library, even, you know, the way it was founded all those, you know, centuries ago. And, and then, like in closing, I hope there is a way for us to keep on honoring all this effort that was put into it by all these generations of German society members. I mean, they always financed it. They, they set aside in the beginning, you know, a quarter of all the membership dues um, to pay the librarian and to buy new books. And they've been such good stewards of the collection. And I hope we can continue to do that and, yeah, to to honor that legacy. That would be wonderful. Bettina, how would you describe what the collection means to you and what is your hope for the future of the collection? Well, as you mentioned, I started at the German Society in 1994, so that's quite a long time ago. And I started cataloging books. And to me, it's been just such a joy to be able to open up books that are just tell such wonderful stories about the history of this library and what people were writing and reading. And it's just such an amazing collection that it's been such a pleasure to work with it and to learn about 
these things that may, probably not many other people know as well as I do. And it's just great fun. I've had such a good time um, looking into all these really interesting old documents of 19th century life in Philadelphia and beyond. Um, and I echo Maria's hope that this library will stick around for another 200 years. We celebrated our 200th anniversary a couple years ago, and hopefully we can stay for another 200 because it's a, such a wonderful place and it really deserves to be preserved and to flourish. Thank you, Maria and Bettina, for welcoming us into the world of the Horner Memorial Library at the German Society of Pennsylvania. If you are interested in learning more about the history of the German Society's library, please check out my article, The Spirit of the Fatherland, German-American Culture and Community in the Library and Archive of the German Society of Pennsylvania, circa 1887 through 1920 which was published in the scholarly journal Libraries, Culture, History, and Society in 2018. The article is accessible via the database JSTOR, and the journal is published by Penn State Press. On the next episode of Cloister Talk, we will visit another of Philadelphia's monumental libraries, the Parkway Central Library of the Free Library of Philadelphia, which houses an expansive collection of Pennsylvania German rare books and manuscripts. We will talk with two librarians and curators who have spent years immersed in the remarkable collections of the Free Library to learn about this public library's astounding holdings. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, I hope you will consider reading The Word in the Wilderness. To purchase a copy, just visit psupress.org, or you can also request it from your favorite local bookseller or library. Please note that Penn State Press is a nonprofit scholarly publisher and part of the Penn State University Libraries. Your purchase of the book supports the work of nonprofit peer reviewed academic publishing, a vital component of the United States information landscape in the 21st century. Please also check out the new Word in the Wilderness study guide, available at wordinwilderness.com clubs, which can help inform your reading of the book. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to continuing our conversation on the next episode of Cloister Talk. <laughs>